Okay, if you could turn to Jonah chapter 4. This morning we're going to look at the first four verses. Don't worry, we're almost done. Uh, Come December, we're going to do some Advent sermons out of the Psalms. And uh, we're actually going to be uh, have Dan Smith the first Sunday, and uh, the RUF minister here at the U of A, and then Charles Garland, the church planter, is going to be here the next Sunday. So, uh, um, hey, you don't hear me for a couple weeks. Isn't that awesome? No, I know, you guys like that. But uh, anyway, and then I'll do uh, another psalm, uh, two, two parts on Psalm 110. So uh, we'll be doing that for Advent, so you kind of know what's coming up. All right, Jonah, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Come and illumine the Scriptures for us. Come and soften hearts and minds. Come to grant us from the treasure houses of Jesus grace through the Word. Come to reveal us to ourselves as well as to even more reveal the reality of who God is to us in clearer, greater fashion. Help us, Holy Spirit, to grasp this gracious, merciful, slow-to-anger God that Jonah struggles with and we struggle with too. Do this for our good and for Your glory. In Christ's name, amen. It was uh, 1998, and it was going to be my third trip to Mexico City uh, for missions. And it was the second trip, second year in a row, that I was leading the mission trip. And when I agreed to do this, I didn't have much fear because the previous year had gone so well. Little did I know how frustrating the experience would be the second time around. It seemed to be a trip that was filled with conflict, hidden agendas, power struggles, and so much more. And in many ways, it sort of reminds me of uh, Jonah's mission trip to Nineveh. It was not a pleasant one, even though it was a successful one. The big idea this morning is that his faithfulness is too great to restrict to one people. 
And uh, and here is the rub and the conflict that we shall see. First off, let's uh, consider the fact that God's agenda of mercy displeases us sometimes. That's that's a real thing. That God's mercy of uh, God's agenda of mercy displeases us sometimes. Now, some of you might be going right now, Steve. You're nuts. Okay, give it a moment. Okay, let's uh, think of this text. We see right off uh, the beginning here in chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly or greatly. There's that word again, greatly, that we found throughout this text. Uh, the, the great wickedness, the great wind, the great fish, the you know, the, all of this stuff. And now it is the great displeasure, or perhaps as uh, Douglas Stewart has translated it himself, the great disgust of Jonah. Let that let that sink in for a moment. Jonah has gone on mission to Nineveh. He's traveled six hundred miles. Okay, remember back then, it's not a flight, it's not a drive, it's, this is a, a big time investment, okay? He has gone all the way to Nineveh, he has make known, made known the, the message of God, he's seen the people of Nineveh, Nineveh repent of their wickedness. And the great it that is so displeasing to Jonah at this moment is the preceding verse, the last one in chapter 3, the Lord relented from the great calamity that he was going to bring upon Nineveh. That's what's displeasing to him. That's what's disgusting to him. God's mercy upon the Ninevites. We see Jonah had preached against that evil. We see that they had repented of that evil. We see that God had relented of the evil, in a different sense, the calamity. It's the same word, but it has both that idea of moral evil and what we would call calamity or catastrophe. The same word is behind it there. And so that theme kind of runs through this passage. He had relented of that evil, shall we say, as and now this is greatly evil. It's the same root word to Jonah. He is considering the mercies of God to have been evil in his sight. And therefore, he, the text says, was angry. Jonah, who had himself received mercy at the hands of God while he was in the belly of the great fish, received mercy. He now is burning. He's hot with anger because of God's mercy to Nineveh. That sounds like his... Mission trip didn't go like he expected it to go. (laughs) And now he's angry. That mission trip I went on was one that was filled with anger on a number of people's parts. Even as God was accomplishing very good and great things, not just in the present, but laying the groundwork for future things, there was some heated stuff that happened. 
there was something that was blinding Jonah to God's goodness and his agenda of mercy in the life and history of Nineveh. It, there was something about it that was a stench in his nostrils. And I think we are to be reminded of the reality that sin sticks to us like the seaweed that had earlier been wrapped around his head while he was in the belly of the fish. There's something to be said that habits die hard. And so Jonah, while he, while he received mercy in chapter 2, we see that he's not perfect in chapter 4. While he's been set apart and sanctified for God's purposes, he's not fully sanctified. It reminds me a lot of John Newton. We heard a lot about how uh, John Newton was in a similar situation as Jonah, where on this crippled ship and the captain wanted to throw him over too. And uh, you'll remember that it was in the midst of all of that that God worked mightily to bring John Newton out of sin and into grace. But he wasn't perfect yet. And so uh, the first few years after that incident upon the Greyhound, uh, Newton struggled with some of the old habits and sins of his life. He hadn't arrived yet. And so Jonah hasn't arrived, and brothers and sisters, and neither have you. Neither have I. Sin still sticks to us, and there are times when we are angry, very angry, about the wrong things. How angry was he, we might ask? And we're shocked when he replies, it is better for me to die. He sounds like a dramatic teenager, doesn't he? <laughs> It'd be better for me to die. That's how angry he is. And when I read the text, I, I wanted to try and capture uh, at least a little bit of how Jonah may have prayed. Okay? Uh, the, the anger uh, that Jonah is expressing in the midst of all this. He wanted to die rather than those Ninevites live. In his mindset, a world with the Ninevites was one not worth living in. It's really what it comes down to. That's the ugly truth of what's going on here. And it, it's really sort of interesting that uh, we see Moses in Exodus 32, when God says He's going to execute judgment or bring calamity upon the people of Israel because they built and worshipped the golden calf, that Moses in that moment on the mountain says, I'd rather you kill me than you kill them. The exact opposite of Jonah. Moses was willing to die in order to save, so to speak, other people. And so 
We also heard from First uh, Kings 19 this morning, and uh, right there, you know, right after this great triumphant moment where uh, the the whole spiritual battle on Mount Mount Carmel uh, and the the prophets of Baal are slain, and it looks like all is going to be good, and then we, you know, Elijah hears that Jezebel is going to come for her, him, and he runs. And what does he say? I, to God, I wish. I were dead. And then we get to that long section that Marty read for us about how God still has a people who have not bowed the knee to uh, Baal, that it is not as bad as you think it is, Elijah. But um, there's this uh, negative news in a sense that uh, you're going to anoint, oddly enough, a new king for Syria, and you're going to anoint... Oddly enough, your successor as prophet. And he's actually the one who anoints the king of Syria. Jonah functions in many ways in this text as an antitype to Jesus. Because Jesus was sent to display the love of God Jesus was sent to die for the sins of others so that those people would have life. And so uh, Jonah is the opposite of Jesus in this regard. Because he's so offended at mercy, whereas Jesus delights in mercy to the degree that he was willing to be the sacrifice so that mercy can be granted. We see Paul almost sounding like Moses in Romans 9, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What is going on here? Such that Jonah does not share the mindset of Paul, of Moses, of Jesus himself. I believe that, Mo, that Jonah feared God's mercy to Nineveh because he believed it would lead to the destruction of Israel. Because remember, Nineveh as a main city in the, the, the empire of Assyria was the bully on the block. The sovereign state that Israel was a vassal state too. And he feared that if, if Nineveh got too strong, which they would if they had the blessing of God, that they would again destroy Israel. And that's what he didn't want. So there's a sense in which what Jonah really wants is control over history and control over the mercies of God. Jonah is angry because he can't play God. As I think about all of the anger that was on that mission trip, it was all about control. Who would be in control? Various conflicts uh, emerging because 
I thought I was appointed to lead the trip, and I have all these people who are making decisions as if I didn't exist in order to get their own way. And some of them had secret agendas that I didn't know about. And later that fall, my stalker would emerge. I'll tell you about that one some other time. Control the desire for it will inevitably lead to conflict. And that's what we see in Jonah's life. He's angry with God. Now, what he should have been doing is rejoicing in God's mercy and then hightailing it back to Israel to call them to repent and be saved. To say, the Ninevites are able to respond to the good news. Can you respond to the good news? Because remember, this is a phase in Israel's life where they continually tuned out God's prophets. And they're on the, on the fast track to exile at the hands of the Assyrians or the Ninevites. This is what Jonah should be doing. And yet, he'd rather see them perish. Which makes me wonder, frighteningly, who would we rather see perish than be saved? Because I'd be a fool to think that we're better than Jonah. And there are probably people, who, different people for each of you, that you would rather they perish than receive, repent and receive the mercies of God. So sometimes the success of God's mission still fills us with burning anger. But here's some good news. God hears our complaints. You see, oftentimes angry people run away. Jonah did that earlier. Okay? But this time there is a change in what takes place. Because the author tells us Jonah prayed to the Lord. In other words, this time he brings his complaint to God. This time he doesn't cover up his anger or he doesn't just storm off and slam the door kind of like those dramatic angry teenagers can do and some of us adults still do. He brought his complaint to God. The Puritan John Flavel notes, Complain to God you may. But to complain of God, you must not. And so we must remember there is a difference here between bringing our complaints to God and complaining against God. And and Jonah is like walking that line (laughs) through this. Okay? Calvin reminds us that there is no work which is not infected with some pollution unless it be purified by a free pardon. And so even though he's praying in the midst of his anger, and even though there is some element of unrighteousness in what Jonah is going to say, God's still going to hear because he's merciful to his people. Even your best prayers are tainted by sin. That doesn't mean don't pray. (laughs) 
That means be thankful for the purifying work of Jesus. That's what that means. So don't let yourself get lost in this. I've, I've got to have the right mindset to pray. I, I have to uh, have pure motives in order to pray. No, just pray. And let Jesus take care of all the rest. Let Him purify the stains that remain in your prayers. And He'll do it. It will be good. So our motives, they don't need to be perfect. Precisely because of Christ's shed blood that purifies even the best of our prayers. Please, brothers and sisters, resist the temptation to let your anger drive you from God instead of to God. Don't say, I'm angry and I'm going to run away and pout, but say, I'm angry and I need to talk to my Father about this thing that I'm angry about. In other words, be angry and sin not. As Paul says in Ephesians, as he quotes from one of the Psalms. But it's in the midst of this that we learn why Jonah initially ran away. And we also learn that Jonah told God about that. Okay, The author left that out in chapter 1, but now we're kind of clued in as to that it actually did happen. And why did he run away? What did he tell God? Is this not what I said when I was back home? In other words, I knew it all along. He's angry because he was right. (laughs) He was right about the mercy of God. But the problem is, is he didn't want to be right about the mercy of God. He wanted to be right about the justice of God. Because those lousy Ninevites deserve justice, not mercy. And what Jonah is forgetting is that Jonah deserved justice and not mercy. So much like us. So much. Jonah's problem was not that he was ignorant of who God was. You see, like Joel, in Joel 2, he quotes extensively from Exodus 34, that passage where Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock and God passed by and declared his name, that he is... Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You see, Jonah knows this. Jonah likes it when it applies to him. But he doesn't quite so much like it when it applies to his enemies. In other words, he's quoting selectively from Exodus 34. He's also applying selectively from Exodus 34. You see, when he quoted it, he removed, oddly enough, 
the, the part about how God will not leave the guilty unpunished. He left that out when he quoted it. Which is funny because that's exactly what he wanted. Those guilty Ninevites to be punished. And then he added, along with Joel, they both add this idea of God relenting over disaster because he is steadfast in love and abounding in mercy and grace. One aspect of of that is that because he is gracious and merciful, he hears our prayers in Christ despite our sin. But another aspect of this is that he, as Paul says in Romans 9, quoting from Exodus, he will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy, and he will have compassion upon whom he will have compassion. That God is sovereign over mercy. He doesn't go to you. I don't want to pick on Alex or Sharon. I'll pick on Eric. He doesn't go to Eric. Dude, who do you want me to be merciful to? And who do you want me to be just to? He doesn't ask Eric's advice. He doesn't ask my advice. He doesn't ask any of your advice. He will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy in accordance with his own self. What's interesting here is that Nineveh hoped in God's abundant faithfulness and mercy, whereas Jonah was hoping in God's abundant justice and fearful of that abundant faithfulness and mercy because he wanted to control mercy and justice. Remember chapter 2, part of his prayer was, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the steadfast love that could be theirs. Right? And so we talked a little bit about idols. But you know what the, the biggest false gods are? Ourselves and our misperceptions of God. The God that we create from our own understanding. We tend to want a God who will do our bidding, not a God whose bidding we do. A God who arranges circumstances according to our wisdom as opposed to His wisdom. That's what most of us want. We want God the puppet. As long as, long as I am the one pulling the strings. If you're pulling the strings, I'm not so sure about that God. Okay? Because I don't think you have my best interest in mind, do you? And that's how each of us function a lot of times. I was reading A Grief Observed as I try to figure out what to do with uh, all this stuff with my mom. And there in the midst of A Grief Observed, he talks about idolatry. 
And C.S. Lewis says, My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it Himself. He is the great iconoclast or breaker of idols and icons. And one of the ways that God breaks your false views of God is the Scriptures. And one of those parts of Scripture that just keeps bubbling up again and again is how God revealed Himself to Moses on that mountain. Here it is again. Jonah chapter 4. We see it there as well in Joel chapter 2. And there's numerous other places in the Psalms where this keeps bubbling up. Who God is. That He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And that self-declaration of God is meant to destroy the false gods you create in your minds. So that you believe in a God who does relent when people repent. Whether it's you or your enemy. So that you do believe in a God who is full and abundant in mercy and compassion, who is full of faithfulness, just as Jonah's father was named. The Lord is faithful. That's the rock that keeps destroying our false views of God. And so, what we really need is a Savior who loves His enemies. And we have one in Jesus who loved us when we were God's enemies. Who gave Himself when we were helpless. Who gave Himself when we were ungodly. Who gave Himself when we were sinners in order to bring us back to God that we might have peace with God. And so we, we find that God's love and mercy in Christ overflow to people that we don't necessarily like. Just as God's mercy overflowed to Nineveh. Nineveh. I'm not sure who your Nineveh is, but they're not beyond the grasp of God's mercy. And so our faithful God hears our complaints and is faithful to purify them from our sin, including our exclusiveness in the worst possible way. That Jesus is just for me and my tribe. Only Presbyterians. God frees us from that foolishness. Thirdly, mercy received delights in mercy given. Why, why is it that I say that God received Jonah's complaint and that he's willing to receive ours as well? Well, first, of course, there's the declaration of God's character, but there's also God's response to Jonah. 
he asks Jonah a question. Do you do well or do you have the right to be angry? Uh, There are times when I ask my angry children that question. It's usually because they've been disciplined because they've done something wrong and they're angry about that. And I ask them that question, "Do, do you have a right to be angry with me? I don't think they like that question. And I don't think Jonah liked that question either. But part of what we see is that, one, he's acknowledging that Jonah is angry. He's not pretending that he's not. But we see that God is not affirming his anger. It's okay for you to be angry, Jonah. He doesn't apologize for making Jonah angry. I'm sorry if you're upset. He doesn't do that either. He acknowledges its reality, but also challenges its validity with this question. In other words, there's this huge matzo ball hanging in the air that Jonah has to think about. That challenges Jonah and ought to challenge us as well. But let's note, He doesn't destroy Jonah. He doesn't banish Jonah. And so even in the asking of this challenging question, there's an element of mercy. He's Jonah's God. And so, he doesn't simply cast him out, but he seeks his purification. He seeks His sanctification in the midst of all of this. And so it is with us as well. If we are His in Jesus Christ, if we're united, there is nothing that separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But that also means He continues to work to conform us to the image of His beloved Son. And that means sometimes He'll ask questions like this one. God continues to engage us if we'll listen to what He says in the Scriptures. You see, as we sang a few moments ago, what God did, what He ordained is right and good because all God ordains is good even if we can't grasp it and understand it at the moment. The problem on all of this was Jonah, and therefore the problem is always generally us. That we have agendas that are contrary to God's agenda, and when God doesn't meet our agenda, we get angry with God. And don't pretend you don't. Mission calls us to lay down our agendas. Maybe that's why we don't do it very often. We've got to lay down our agenda. And we need to have that mindset of thy will be done, not my will be done. That's scary for us. 
But mission does call us there to lay down our agendas, to lay down our false images of God so that we might pick up the true God as He reveals Himself in the Scriptures and His agenda as He reveals it within the Scriptures. And in this case, we see, as Paul says in Romans, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God's agenda is the salvation of the elect in His Son. If we delight in the mercy that we have received, we will delight in the mercy that He gives to others. What we see in the Scriptures is the God who loved His helpless, ungodly enemies. And here's here's the fun part of it. He's going to give that same love to you. Meaning, He's going to give you a love for sinners. He's going to give you a love for ungodly people such that you want to see them in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants to make you a lover of people. Not just the people you like. Not just the people who look like you. Not just the people who talk like you, vote like you, dance like you. I don't know where the dance came from. (laughs) But people not like you. Now, from God's perspective, that is exciting. From our perspective... That might be exciting, that might be scary. Depends who we are. But remember, the one who hopes in him will not be put to shame or be disappointed. And so what you might think would be a tragic ending, the conversion of so-and-so, will actually be a beautiful ending. Because it will result in praise and glory to Jesus as well as the good of that person. Oh, I've talked too long about this. So that mission trip was really, for me, a great example of a common problem in our lives. That our agendas don't simply clash with one another's, but oftentimes they also clash with God's. And this results in conflict, not just with one another, but also with God. Part of the good news is that God hears our complaints because Christ has gained us access. But God also challenges our anger pointing to our agendas so that we own them and repent of them. The bottom line is is that we want to be God. 
But God is relentless about making us like Jesus in His love for sinners, even those who are our enemies, just as Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. Will you continue to fight to be in control of God's mercy? Or will you rejoice that it flows farther and wider than you'd ever let it be if it were left up to you? Let's pray. Grant, Almighty God, that as you see us implicated in so many errors, that we often fall through lack of thought. And as you also see that the violent emotions of our flesh wholly blind whatever reason and judgment there is in us, O grant that we may learn to give up ourselves to obey you. And so honor your wisdom as never to contend with you, though all things may happen contrary to our wishes but patiently to wait for such an issue as it may please you to grant. And may we never be disturbed by any of the hindrances which Satan may throw in our way, but ever go on towards the mark which you have set before us, and never turn aside from you until, having gone through all dangers and overcome all impediments, we shall at length reach that blessed rest which has been obtained for us by the blood of your Son. Amen.